Um, as you may have uh, noticed, it's the first Sunday of Advent, so we're, we're starting a new series that will take us through Advent, uh, just looking at some Advent themes. Uh, so our theme this morning, we're thinking about faith and hope, which is why I chose this, um, uh, this passage. And uh, you, can have, you can have hope uh, without faith. Uh, so, so some of us are hoping that England might make the last 16 but, um, but how, how strong is our faith that that is going to happen? Uh, after Friday night, our faith in uh, England team has taken a bit of a dent. And, uh, but just imagine, imagine that the England team could have the, the best players in the world from, you know, the, the, you know, Messi and not Ronaldo, he's a bit of an old has-been, isn't he? Sorry. But uh, imagine you'd have the best, the best players in the world you know, playing at the, you know, the peak of their, you know, of, of, of their skills, then you'd have an enormous amount of faith in, in the fact that they were, you know, England were going to get through to the last 16. So, so you can have hope, but your hope is only as certain as that in which you put your faith to deliver it. And at Hebrews 11, uh, and the, the context is the writer of Hebrews is writing to, to Christians who are having a really hard time. They are suffering, they are being persecuted, uh, there are lots of questions around, well, well, where is God? Why isn't God delivering us? Why isn't God helping us? So it's very much a, a word for our times. It's very pertinent to uh, the world as it is today, where the church is increasingly suffering persecution. And the writers of Hebrews, the time he gets to chapter 11, he's writing to encourage Christians to be certain of their faith, to know that they have a sure hope. And at the beginning of Advent, we are preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But obviously, Advent is more than that. It's looking beyond Christmas to the time when Jesus will return. And our faith in Jesus' return is certain because of the one in whom we, we put our faith. And so the writer of the Hebrews, he, he wants to encourage Christians by reminding them of the faith of the ancients, of those who've gone before. And in these first 13 verses... The writer rattles through uh, some of these characters, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham. And we're just going to kind of unpack this a little bit and uh, just encourage ourselves as we look to the second coming of Jesus to remind ourselves that we don't have, you know, a vague hope as we do for England making the last 16. Uh, We have a certain hope that Jesus is going to return. And uh, uh, in these days, it's a hope that we need to be reminded of as we've been singing and worshipping this morning, reminding ourselves of the faithful one in whom we put our trust. Uh, we can stand firm. So first off, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Uh, did you, I don't know if you saw it in the news um, last week. Scientists are very excited because... Uh, a, a year ago, March 2021, 20, a meteorite uh, um, uh, came through the atmosphere. It started its journey somewhere between Mars and Jupiter, which is not exactly pinning it down very much because that's quite a big space. And uh, this meteorite had travelled for between 200 and 300,000 miles and it sort of crashed through the universe and a lump of it ended up on the driveway of the Wilcox family in Winchcombe in Gloucestershire. So, um, but scientists are very excited about this because they spent the last year analysing this lump of rock and, uh, and they're very excited because it contains uh, elements of water which are an exact match for the water found on Earth. So they're very excited because the, the thing that has puzzled scientists is where did the water on Earth come from? 
Because if the planet formed as a kind of, you know, a, a molten lump of very hot rock, any, any water that might have been there would have boiled off. So how did the water get onto Earth? And uh, they're very excited because one of the theories is, well, it arrived by meteorite. I'm just thinking, that's a lot of meteorites because <laughs> there's a lot of water on Earth. So, but the bigger question is, is not, you know, just how did water arrive on Earth? Where did the water come from in the first place? And where did matter come from in the first place that formed the, you know, the meteorite? And that's a question that, you know, um, scientists, as clever as, that's a question that science can't, can't answer. How did something come from nothing? Well, by faith, we believe that something came from nothing because our Bible says, well, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Before there was anything, there was God. And we understand that the universe was formed at at his command, he spoke it into being. And the wonderful thing about that is it means we're not here by accident. We're not here by chance. The world, the universe, it's not here by accident. It means that there is a purpose. There is a purpose behind the universe. There is a purpose in the world. There is a purpose built into our lives. You know, one of the, the great crises of our modern age is a crisis of identity. Uh, we see it you know, just across society and across our culture is people are trying to work out who they are. And um, if you take God out of the equation, uh, well, then you, you just end up kind of flailing around trying to form your identity from all kinds of different places. But if you understand that the world was formed at God's command, that there's a purpose in our lives, well, that's our identity. You and I were created by God who loves us Created to live for him, created for an eternity with him. That's part of the rock on which we stand and we, we do it by faith. First of all, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of um, Cain and Abel. Let me just read you a little bit from Genesis chapter 4. Uh, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Uh, And you'll know how the story goes on that Cain ends up uh, killing his brother Abel. What is it about, you know, what, what's going on here? Why does God look with favour on Abel's offering, but not on Cain's? Well, there's something about the way in which about they go about their offering. So Cain, he just brought some fruits of the soil. There's a, there's a sense in which Cain hasn't, he's not, he's not prepared this offering particularly well. He's not put a lot of thought into it. He's not been wholehearted in bringing his offering. He's just thought, I've got to offer something. So he's kind of grabbed the nearest turnip or carrot or whatever it might have been. And he says, well, that'll do. You know, it's not even the best carrot or the best turnip. It's those funny ones that you can buy in the supermarkets. And, the, in the, you know, they're still tasty. They just look a bit weird. What did, why, how did we ever get to buying, you know, perfectly formed vegetables and discarding all the ones that are a bit wonky? You know, it's the wonky ones that are, you know, the ones you can put on Facebook because they look funny. You say, oh, look at my Gary. It looks weird. I've found the face of Jesus in my turnip. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. So, um, so Cain is kind of, he's just kind of picked anything. And he's like, well, this will do. Whereas Abel brought fat from some of the firstborn of his flock. 
And the book of Genesis is a book of origins. It's a book about things of first principle and first importance. And what's this telling us? Well, it's telling us that, that actually we're created to bring God our very best. That's how we're created. We're, we're to, to bring wholehearted worship to God. There's a lovely, um, you may remember in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8, where he's commending generosity. And he uses as an example the church in Macedonia And he says this about them. He says, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Remember um, Jesus' command, the first command, we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. This is why Abel's offering is a better offering than Cain's, because it's wholehearted. And that's the example Set for us, and by faith in God, we believe that He's worthy of our wholehearted offering. And the problem is, if we're not worshiping God in that way, if we're not responding to God wholeheartedly, what happens to Cain? Well, he becomes angry, he opens a door for sin, and that sin takes a hold of him, and that sin leads him down a path that leads him in the end to kill his brother. And to say to God, when God comes looking for Abel and says, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And it's a devastating indictment of how far Cain has fallen away from the image of God. Because if we're created in the image of God to reflect his love and to reflect his glory, then if we're asked, well, where is your brother? How is your brother? How is your sister? Then the response should be, yes, I am my brother and my sister's keeper. Because I'm reflecting the image of God in which I'm made. And it's a testimony to how far Cain falls away from the image of God that he no longer cares about his brother. Do we care about those around us? Do we care about our fellow human beings? It's a mark of whether or not our worship of God is wholehearted. Because when it is, then we will love those around us because we'll be reflecting the image of God. And it's by faith that we bring our worship to God because we believe he's the faithful one. Verse five, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, Enoch is he's a bit of a footnote in history, to be honest. He's a bit of a footnote in the Bible. He's literally got two verses. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. This is pretty much all we know about Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. That's it. That's all we know about Enoch. But he seems to have, um, he seems to have kind of picked up attention because he didn't die. He's one of only two, two people before Jesus who, who, who didn't die. Um, God just took him away. There's one other reference to Enoch, which is in one of the, um, uh, one of the books that was written between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So there's Old Testament, New Testament and then there are the intertestamental books written between the Testaments uh, that were never given the same authority as the books that we have in our Old Testament and New Testament. But one of those books, the book of Wisdom, chapter 4, verse 10, says that Enoch pleased God. 
So that's what we know about Enoch. He lived to a ripe old age of 365 years. Uh, He had kids. Uh, He pleased God and then God took him away. And that's it. But because he didn't die, he kind of, you know, he became quite uh, quite a personality in the centuries before Jesus. And uh, uh, the Jews kind of had a great, a great love for him as someone who pleased God and who didn't die. God just took him away to be with him. But the point is, the example in Enoch's life is that he pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because in order to please God, well, A, you've got to believe that he exists. Because there's no point in trying to please someone who doesn't exist, is there? Kind of waste of time. Might as well support. Um, yeah, no, won't go there. Uh, but uh, there we go. So, um, uh, but you know, we were by faith. We want to live lives that please God. Well, why do we want to live a life that pleases God? Because He loves us. Because He's faithful. Because He's merciful because he has revealed himself to us how do we know any of the things that we know about God we haven't just guessed them we haven't worked them out on our own because he loves us and he's revealed himself to us and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him again just that echo of love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and as as Ali reminded us at at the start this is not well you know we live a good life and so we are rewarded with eternal life no the Reward that God gives to those who earnestly seek him is the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal salvation through faith. But in order to please God, it's, by, it's through faith. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is by faith. So Noah is uh, he's one of these crazy people who, who hears God's voice and obeys, even when it seems completely bonkers to do so. So um, uh, Noah is living in a desert uh, where it doesn't rain. It's probably a bit like where, um, Finn, you live in New Mexico, probably a bit like that, isn't it? Um, uh, we, we had, uh, um, over lunch the other, the other Sunday, we were kind of discussing things and, and hot drinks, and Finn said, we don't have hot drinks in New Mexico because it's just hot all the time, we just have iced tea and iced coffee. Ugh. But, uh, but there we go, each, each to their own. And if it's really, really hot, I guess Noah probably, he pro- probably drank iced, well, I don't know, he didn't have tea or coffee. But anyway, you get the point. No, he lives in a desert. It doesn't rain. It's really, really hot. And God says, oh, I'm going to send a flood. I want you to build a big boat. And, uh, and Noah listens and he obeys. And everyone thinks he's bonkers. But it's by faith that he does so. And it's in holy fear that he builds an ark to save his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is is quite significant. Because he built the boat, uh, the the world is kind of condemned. Because if if, if if there's a means of salvation, then it means you need to be saved. You need to be rescued. If you don't take advantage of that means of salvation, well, then you're not going to be saved. That's kind of the bottom line. And that's what we see with, with, with Noah. And most people, they, they don't, they're not interested. They don't want to get on the boat. They think Noah is, you know, he's a crazy person. They laugh at him. And they're like, no, we're not going to get on the boat because we're doing all right, thank you very much. We're just going to live our lives. We're going to have party time. We're, you know, we, we're, we're living this life. We're not going to get on your stupid boat. And they end up all being 
um, condemned. And it's because of his faith and his trust in God and his willingness to hear God that, that there's that contrast. Because if there's a means of salvation and you don't take it, well, then you're not saved. And the relevance for us is, is, is exactly the same thing. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, the world is condemned. Because if there's a means of salvation and you don't take it, well, then you're not saved. That's, that's the bottom line. Uh, John's Gospel, John, uh, John 3.16, very, um, you know, very famous uh, passage. And we always stop at 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, at Christmas, we're going to be singing carols about how Jesus came to save us from our sins. But John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. If, if you believe, as Noah did, in a means of salvation, or if you don't take it, then you're not saved. It's the same for us. You know, in this season of Advent, we're proclaiming a message of salvation. We're proclaiming that a saviour came to rescue us and save us from our sins. But if you don't accept what he did... Then, then you're condemned. That's what our, the Bible says. By his faith, he condemned the world. But by his faith, he became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. You know, we are certain of our eternal life because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because we're good enough, not because we deserve it, not because we're earning it, but because we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ of his righteousness. It's by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is, is God. So um, Abraham is a nomad. He lives in a tent, he travels around and God speaks to him one day and says, look, I want, you to, I want you to leave everything and I want you to go to this land that I'm going to show you. And even though it's occupied by other people, I'm going to give it to you and it will be yours. And Abraham believes him. Abraham puts his trust in him and he goes and it happens exactly as he is told that it will. But he, puts his, his, he, he goes on a journey because of his certainty about the character of God about God's faithfulness. And uh, us, as, as we live by faith, what is it that we're looking forward to? We're looking beyond this life to a new life to come. We're looking forward to the certainty of Jesus' return. We're looking forward to the certainty of a new heavens and a new earth. And we live by faith as aliens and strangers in this world. We're not supposed to feel at home in this world. We're not supposed to feel too settled in this world. Uh, Peter writes in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Do you feel like an alien and a stranger in the world? 
Now, I didn't say, do you look like an alien? And I said, do you feel like an alien and a stranger in the world? The answer to that question should be yes. As followers of Jesus, we should not feel, we we shouldn't feel too at home in this world. And if we do, then it's a sign that probably we are, you know, we're, we're too, you know, we're too settled. We're too settled. It's a sign that maybe we've, we've compromised with too many of the ways of the world. Uh, we shouldn't feel at home in this world. We should feel like an alien and a stranger because actually we're created for something uh, uh, beyond this life. Uh, Paul, again, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 15, he writes about, um, oh no, it's 1 Corinthians 15. That's why I can't find it. Uh, He writes about the resurrection and the resurrection body. And he says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Uh, don't make the mistake of thinking when it says a spiritual body that the, the, the resurrection body is, is going to be non-material. That's not what he's saying. Jesus' resurrected body was material, but it was a spiritual body because it was a body of heaven and not of earth. But the point is, you know, we are looking forward as, um, you know, Abraham was looking forward to a city with foundations. We're looking forward to a new creation. That's our certain hope. We're looking forward to, you know, these bodies which are wearing out and decaying, some more rapidly than others, uh, to being renewed and uh, recreated. That's what we look forward to by faith. That's the certainty of our faith. Lastly, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. There's the key to all of this. I said at the start, uh, you're just using that analogy of you know England making the last 16. You're, it's where is your faith? Do you have, do you have faith in someone who can deliver on the hope that you have? That's the question. Whatever you hope for, do you have faith in someone who can deliver on the hope that you have? And Abraham does. He considered him faithful who had made the promise. He considered that God was faithful. And so even though Abraham was an old man, uh, way past the age of, of, of having children, Sarah is barren. She can't have children. They put their hope in the God who'd made the promise. And he came through for them and delivered. So it's a story about resurrection. It's about life coming from where there is no life. In terms of progeny, in terms of children, Abraham and Sarah are not just past their prime. They're, you know, they're, they're way down the road in the distance. There is no, there is, you know, their prime is long gone. There are no kids in the offing. But God makes a promise and he delivers on it. And so their hope is certain. God has made a promise to us in Jesus Christ. And we have faith and trust in him in the events of history and the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and so our hope for the resurrection is certain. Our hope for new life to come is certain. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Um, unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, 
Uh, We will be living by faith when we die. That's the reality. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Uh, We may end this life still trusting in the hope that God has given us, still living by faith. But it's a certain faith. Our longing for Jesus to return is certain. It is It is going to happen. Jesus is going to return. He is going to renew creation. And so as we're in this season of preparing for Christmas and preparing to celebrate the birth of a saviour, this season of Advent is is one of, of, of looking to that event, but also looking beyond it, looking to the day when Jesus will return, looking to the day when Jesus will return as a judge, to judge the living and the dead. And the question is, when he returns or when we go to meet him, will we know that he is, he's also our saviour, that we've put our hope and our faith in him? Uh, that's the good news that we've received and that's the good news that we have to share with those around us. Uh, so let's take a moment to uh, just to pray, to reflect on some of these things. We've, um, uh, we've rattled through a lot of the ancients and for the faith that they were commended for. We've been reminded that we, we trust in a God who created the universe from nothing. Just